you have your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 1, please. As you're turning there, you may think back on your childhood. I don't know how your parents parented you, but there was typically a moment when my parents' voice, and I know they're watching on live stream right now, so that <laughs> checks me, when my parents' voice moved to a voice of authority, now they meant business. Right? They had been telling us to do something for a while, and I was ignoring them, and then all of a sudden their voice changed. I was like, okay, there's a new authority here. Better do what they're saying. There are times when Sarah will say, hey, Ryan, I think they need a dad voice. I think they need a dad voice. And maybe some of you moms know, know what that's like. It's just dad's voice means business. Sometimes mom's voice is heard as an option. <laughs> so, but sometimes there are people's voice that just have a greater sense of authority, a greater sense of power. They, they can command the room. It's just a reality. And this morning, we get to see the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ in his voice. We get to see it in three different ways. This, last week, we saw that Jesus' identity was the Son of God. And out of that identity, it flowed out that he went out and conquered temptation against Satan. He then came in preaching the kingdom of God because he is God's Son, this King. And now we are seeing the Lord on the move in Mark chapter 1 here. He has moved over to the Sea of Galilee where he begins to call disciples. And in the verses this morning, verses 16 through 28, we're going to be amazed by our Lord's voice. Amazed by how commanding and powerful it is, but it's also restorative. It's also healing to those who hear. It's authoritative and profound, but it's clear, and it's on the level that anyone can understand it. When Jesus speaks, things happen. And it's what we would expect from the one who holds all things together by the word of his power. So this morning we're going to see Jesus' effectual call, his call that, is, that affects change. It brings about what he intends. We're going to see his authoritative teaching that he teaches as one with supreme authority. And then we'll see this universal command of Jesus as Chris just prayed, that he doesn't just have power over our small physical lives, he has power over the universe, things seen and things unseen. So let's look at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 28. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, 
a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So our Lord Jesus, the king here, is on the move, and things are happening. This is a characteristic of Mark, is that things happen quickly in this gospel. And we see here that Jesus has come to gather in people into his kingdom. And he does this through an effectual call, a call that affects change and accomplishes what he intends. People hear Jesus, call them, they turn and they see Jesus, and they're amazed by him, and they're compelled to follow him. And so in this first interaction with these four disciples, we see this effectual call of Jesus. He looks at them and he says, follow me, and they do. Simon, who becomes Peter, and Andrew, James and John, they drop everything, they leave their families, they leave their fishing nets, and they follow Jesus at his simple call. And, and we should be amazed at the power of our Lord's voice. Mark is not one to give us a lot of details on what Jesus says, but he, he wants us to know who Jesus is. This is further evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, that he holds divine power. His voice is effective. He speaks and galaxies come into existence. He speaks, the world is created. There, there's rich biblical imagery that comes to mind when we see Jesus speak and immediately affect change. You think about the dry bones of Ezekiel 37, right? God speaks, the word of life comes to them and flesh and sinew and muscle embodies these bones and they turn into an army just at the voice of the Lord. Or you think about Hosea 2, a time when God is saying, I will show mercy on Israel and I will allure her. I will speak tenderly to her. I will renew my covenant with her in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy. And they'll all know the Lord because he draws us out with his voice. And Jesus is beginning this very work that he calls people and those whom he calls come. They come to Jesus. They turn and love him and believe in him and turn from their sins. And so Jesus is calling people to himself. They're effectively called. And what we see now, we have promises now for us carried out that as we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the gospel, the gospel's the power of God unto salvation. This same effectual call still happens today when God's people proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what keeps missionaries excited and going. This is what keeps us engaged with neighbors, that we know God can effectually call people to himself and save them. You and I are here today, if you're a believer, because Jesus called you. He called you to himself, and, and you turned, and you trusted him, and you believed in him, and you said, yeah, like, like Jesus, you are more valuable than anything else. You're worth following all of my life. And so who does Jesus call here? Simon and Andrew, James and John, these brothers. And Jesus, kind of like when Lydia in Acts 16, Paul preached the gospel to, to them and Lydia's heart was open to believe the things of the Lord. Paul, and, 
or Peter and Andrew, James and John turn, they see Jesus Christ. Their hearts are open to see him and love him. And they drop what they're doing and they follow him. These men were fishermen. Not, no great riches, no high rank, no great wealth. Normal people like you and me. Hope that wasn't an insult to you. I consider myself normal. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little weird to some. But J.C. Rowell points out the church that began with a few fishermen and yet spread through the world must have been founded by God. I mean, they were, but they were likely shrewd businessmen. To be a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee was no easy task. Much of the fish in the Sea of Galilee were shipped all around the Mediterranean region, down into Egypt, north into Syria. So they were, they were pretty shrewd men. They even had hired servants. And they were gritty men. They were gritty men. I enjoy fishing, but these men fished for a living all the time. And they would throw large nets, cast large nets, and oftentimes have to swim down and scoop up nets that are 20 foot in diameter at times with weights on the end and draw in these fish. These were strong, gritty men, shrewd men, but going about their normal lives. And this is where Jesus meets them in their normal everyday life and he just reveals their need by his presence by his presentation he reveals that they need to know him Jesus is worth following so what does he what does he call them to he says follow me Jesus says follow me a life of full allegiance to Jesus Christ there's nothing wrong with nets there's nothing wrong with family. There's nothing wrong with vocations. But they leave, leave them. Because Jesus' call was so compelling that they couldn't say no. They said, Jesus is worth following. Wherever he calls me, wherever he goes, I'm following him. This is discipleship in its simplest, most basic form. Hear Jesus' call and follow him, whatever the cost. And so he's, he's calling them, but he doesn't stand there with a clipboard, right? This is a very different call. He's not saying, what was your SAT score? How did you perform uh, um, in school? Can I see your resume, please? To help me understand, how have you managed a difficult situation in the past and resolved conflict? <laughs> Follow me, he says. No prerequisites. No entrance exam, no character assessments, just follow me. Are you willing to follow me? Yes. Yes. Okay, then come. Come. Jesus is worth it. This is very different than other teacher-student relationships at the time. Other people, before going in, had to swear allegiance to a large code of conduct or a set of teaching. But with Jesus, it's person. It's personal. Follow me. The man, Jesus Christ, is who we are to follow. We love him, we cherish him, we strive for him. And he forms himself in us. So he calls them to follow him. Basic call, personal call, follow Jesus. But then he says he will make them become fishers of men. It's kind of an awkward wording when you read it, at least in the ESV. But it's emphasizing the process of becoming 
more and more like Jesus, specifically in pursuing people. So this process of becoming fishers of men is a process of being called to Jesus Christ himself, who is the chief fisher of men. And then we become like him as we fish for men, as we pursue other people. And this is a process that goes on and on in our life, and we hope to see ever-increasing fruit. It's a process where we're becoming like Jesus, John, right? John here, who was called a son of thunder, who thought it might be a good idea to call down fire from heaven and destroy cities that didn't believe in Jesus, will eventually become the apostle of love. And where would we be without Jesus in our lives? What sinful folly would I still be pursuing had he not stopped me? And so, so Jesus calls us to himself, and as he's a fisher of men, we become more and more like him. We pursue people. The same process, power that called us out of darkness and into Jesus' marvelous light is the power that awakens us from our deadness and sin. Is the same power that now empowers us to go be fishers of men and who can awaken other people from their deadness and sin and who can draw people to Jesus Christ through his effectual call. So have you been called have you heard the cry of Jesus Christ that says, follow me? Have you turned from your sin and said, I will follow you, Jesus. I trust in you. If, you. if you've never responded to Jesus and said, I need you. There is no one like you. I trust you. I want to follow you. Now's the day of salvation. Turn and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you have questions, the elders will be available here at the end of the service to meet with you and answer any questions you may have or pray with you. Have you been called? All, all who come to him, Jesus says, he'll never cast out. So have you been called? But if you have been called, then it bears asking, who are you fishing for? Who are you fishing for? Who is it in your life that you're pursuing with the gospel? The first title that Jesus gives his followers is a fisher of men. So who are you going after with the gospel? We are to labor to draw men out of darkness into the marvelous light of our Savior, to free them from the dominion of sin and Satan, to the freedom, the glorious freedom. Oh, we're free, free forever, amen, we say. The freedom of Jesus Christ, the freedom from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and someday the presence of sin. We want people to know that joy. So notice... Verse 16, there, what is it? It says at the beginning, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. And then if you just jump down there to verse 19. And going on a little farther, Jesus is just going about normal, everyday events of his life that's putting him in contact with normal, everyday people and then introducing himself to them. And it's now our, our task to introduce Jesus to them. And so just normal, everyday interactions. I love the fall festival. I'm really excited about this opportunity because it's a great opportunity for us to be a good neighbor, to serve our community. I, I find that I meet more people when we're linking arms and serving and doing things together as a church. It helps me get to know people more. I'm still pretty new here, so I'm looking forward to that. But you know, the first step in evangelism has often been said is learning your neighbor's name. And if we can come and present this community of love here so that the neighbors come in and we begin to know their names and talk to them and they see the love of Jesus Christ among us, 
and find this place to be a welcoming, loving environment, what a different taste than the rest of the world gives. And then we can introduce them to our Savior, Jesus Christ, in time. And so I would hope for you to, to take advantage of that. Even if you're not serving in a booth, come and just meet neighbors. Come and be a joyful presence. Come introduce yourself to strangers and trust the Lord to effectually call people to himself as you share of God's goodness towards you. But, but our Lord Jesus continues. After calling these men to himself, they then head to Capernaum where they're going to see the power of Jesus' words in a completely other and amazing way. So look at verses 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So, so Jesus and his first few disciples head to Capernaum. And this is actually where Jesus is going to call home in his ministry. When he's not traveling and preaching, he calls this place home. And he heads to the synagogue. These are assembly halls, places that were scattered all around the Mediterranean world. If, if 10 or more young Jewish men wanted to get together, they would gather there and they would read the law, the Old Testament law. But then it would often not be expounded. It was open for others to share. And so no one knew the author was about to show up. And Jesus walks in, and now it's Jesus' turn to comment on what's being read. And Mark does not focus on the content of Jesus' teaching. He doesn't give us any. But what he does give us is the authority of Jesus. He wants us to see the person of Jesus Christ and his supreme authority here. And so a, a scroll was likely opened. Try to imagine yourself there. A passage of the law was read, and people began to share. But the difference here is that Jesus speaks, and he's got all authority in heaven and on earth. What he says and what he does is full and final as God. He's not like the scribes. This isn't meant to tear down the scribes. It's meant to lift up Jesus when they say, unlike the scribes, his teaching is one with authority. The scribes were well-respected. The office was very desirable, they were seen as professors on the law, teachers, moralists, even civil lawyers. People sought them out. I mean, they, these were people you would want to know, you know? They're the ones you would call right now and be like, I don't know how to handle this. What do I do here? So people rose to greet them, and many of them were legendary people. They were the, among the Sanhedrin and the ruling class of council over the Jews. But their authority was always outside of themselves. They appealed to the tradition of the elders. They would appear to views handed down to them over the years. And yet here comes Jesus, as I said earlier, the author of the law. And he came and spoke with full authority on all matters. He knew and knows all things. So he could give the most insightful, most spirit-filled words about it because he's the true son of God, full of God's spirit. By his word, all things were created, and now they're reading his word. He's the final authority. When you, when you have Jesus' words, you don't need a higher authority. You don't have to appeal somewhere higher. And so they're saying, like in verse 27, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Authority. 
And you know the difference between someone with authority and someone without authority. Those who speak on things and just kind of sort of suggest you might want to maybe try this and see if it works. It could. It might not. I don't know. But I don't really want to be held liable if it doesn't work because I'm not really sure. You know, you, you walk away from people like, thank you so much. Ha have a good day. I'll call you never. You know, like, I, I need to know an answer. And Jesus is saying, like, you, he, what he says invites your full confidence. Some people don't sound like they believe in anything. When Jesus speaks, it's so certain, it's so commanding, supernatural, supreme authority. And he says it with such confidence that people know he should be trusted in this. He should be trusted in this. And the ones that will rebel against him are the ones whose authority is lost when people start to Submit to Jesus' authority, the religious leaders that wanted to have a say. This word authority is a reference to supernatural authority. And in the whole book of Mark, Mark only uses it to talk about Jesus' authority. The highest authority over every single realm. Jesus is God. He has the spirit. We submit to his word. So here's Jesus showing up, teaching likely on the kingdom of God. We don't know specifically. And all are astounded. He's an expert in the field. He knows what he's talking about. We, we now have God's word in, to us in the word of God. And I wonder if when we come to his word, if we view it with such full and final authority to us, when we think about Jesus, we think of him with this sense of authority so that we are amazed by him, astonished as to be practically overwhelmed by him. We read his words with eyes wide, full of wonder, a jaw dropped, shocked at his goodness, a heart aflame, wanting to hear more of Jesus. I mean, you can compare world religions, Paul, Jesus' teaching, it is profound, authoritative on all matters of life. It speaks to every arena. And it's so full of wisdom and truth, it reveals the final authority of God himself speaking and informing our world. Be amazed at Jesus' authority. There is truly no one at all like him. There's no one like him. But these authoritative words aren't simply teaching to inform our mind. They're, they're also, as Jesus is speaking, we're about to see, they're universal to oppose all that is wicked. It oppose, opposes all that is evil, even in the unseen realm. So Jesus has called disciples to himself effectively, effectually. He's preached and taught with authority, but there's something more here. Because when he arrives with authority, he's going to uh, encounter someone who absolutely hates his authority. And now you're going to see his universal command. Jesus' universal command. Look at verses 23 through 28. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, 
saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is a highly confrontational moment. This demon puffs his chest out and co- makes a combative appeal to Jesus. What have you to do with us is like saying, I want nothing of you. You don't belong here. The kingdom of God is now going head to head with the kingdom of darkness in plain sight for all to see. This unclean spirit is a demon, a fallen angel, one who follows Satan's lead, opposes all that is good and right and true, all that is of Jesus. And what does the demon say? He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So he calls him Jesus of Nazareth. Remember when Jesus was a toddler, there was a threat of of death for young men, young boys, and so his parents fled, took him, and he came back out of Nazareth. He would be called a Nazarene, and this demon had some history on Jesus. He knew Jesus, who he was. He knew his physical life. But then he says, the Holy One of God. So this demon had theology, too. He knew Jesus' identity as the Son of God, who alone is holy. Jesus is the Holy One of God. He, he belongs to God. He's God's Son, and He's holy. He's, he's altogether separate in complete purity, in a class of His own, a league of His own. In this synagogue, at this moment, this, the demon knew who Jesus was better than anyone else. And yet, for reasons yet to be discovered, Jesus does not want His identity fully realized yet. And so Jesus speaks. Now, it is important to put yourself there. These stories can be so familiar that you glaze over them. Go to the synagogue in your head. A demon-possessed man is speaking. But everyone there knows it's the demon, not the man. And the demon bows up to Jesus eye to eye. What have you to do with us? Face to face. And then the demon questions what Jesus is doing. Are you here to destroy us? This is... If that happened here, (laughs) we'd be all pretty tense on the edge of our seat. And Jesus doesn't play by the demon's rules. Jesus doesn't let the demon set the stage. He doesn't let the demon frame the conversation. In the presence of the Son of God, the demon can ask a question, but Jesus will do whatever he wants, and no one can stop him. You bow up to Jesus, you call out, you confront Jesus, just prepare for defeat. And Jesus decisively, without hesitation, with vigor, with passion, commands the moment, be silent, and come out of him. Yeah. This is so an aside. 
I hope we get to see this in heaven. Like, I hope in heaven there'll be a glorified theater room or something where we can go back and watch these redemptive moments where Jesus acts or God does in the Old Testament, like splitting of the Red Sea. I, I just think about it sometimes and wonder. I hope we get to see it. But anyway, back to this. The unclean spirit then, be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit does. Now he cries out with a loud voice, almost like a, I know you said be quiet, but I'm, I'm going to obey, but I'm going to obey with hate. I'm going to resist as much as I can. But from the other gospel writers, we know that this man, though he was convulsed, and though the demon escaped from him, crying out with a loud voice, the demon did the man zero harm. Zero harm. This was a no contest event. This was complete dominion. This was supreme universal power where Jesus rebukes these unclean spirits with a word. And to do so, he does so in order to bring about his righteous reign in the world by restoring and healing human hearts. In his universal command, he restores the victim. He acts on those oppressed by the evil one. Unclean spirits are expelled. Broken people are made new. Sickness is healed. Wherever the evil one and his minions are lurking, our Lord's voice has universal command. The power and the purposes of the Lord will stand. Someday, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Where? In heaven above and on the earth and under the earth. Universal command of Jesus. So Jesus has this effectual call, authoritative teaching, universal command, but knowing all this about him is not enough. The person, the thing in the synagogue that knew Jesus the best was the demon. It doesn't mean that if you know a lot about Jesus, you're immediately on his side. If your posture towards Jesus is one of defiance or disregard, no matter how much you know about him, you're not his disciple. It's one thing to say, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. It's quite another one to say, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God, my Savior, my King, my friend, my Deliverer. Martin Luther once said, the life of Christianity consists in possessive pronouns. Is Jesus your Savior, your Deliverer? Do you follow Him? Do you hear His call? Well, then come. Do you hear his teaching? Then cherish it in your heart. Long for more. Hunger and thirst for more teaching of, of Jesus Christ. Do you recognize this universal command that he has over all of your life and heart and mind? There's not a struggle you face. There's not a thought you battle. There's not a temptation you struggle with that is outside of Jesus' command in your life and ability to help you overcome. Not a thing. And at once, his fame began to spread everywhere. Everywhere. Isn't this our desire? For the fame and renown of Jesus Christ to be spread everywhere to the ends of the earth. 
I look forward to hearing from our friends here in just a minute to hear how Jesus Christ's name and glory and renown is being spread to the ends of the earth during our conversation. But let's see this here. Let's hear Jesus' words together, respond to his effectual call in our lives, submit to his authoritative command, know that his, his command in your life is universal, it rules over everything, and he restores when he speaks to you. He renews. No one has power like Jesus. And let's take that good, glorious authority, effectual call, universal command of Jesus with us as we go and introduce others to Jesus so that they may hear his call and respond in faith. Let's pray together. Our great God, thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. Where would we be without your word? Where would we be without you informing our lives and commanding us, opening our eyes by your effectual call to know you and follow you? Lord, as we hear your authoritative teaching in our lives, help us submit to you and walk in your ways. As we struggle and battle, help us know your command is universal. There is nothing outside of the scope of your word and your power to restore and heal and renew. Help us be amazed by you, Lord Jesus, and follow you. And as we now remember, remember your death. Remember that you came and you loved us even to death itself. And you died and you were buried and rose again. Help us remember your death has paid for our sins. Help us take this bread and drink as a remembrance that we have partaken of you by faith. And help us look forward to when you should return when you will deal with sin fully and finally, Lord. May this time of remembrance renew our faith in you and continue to form your image in us. We ask all these things in your name.